The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. This week we look at Japan, where President Barack Obama is just concluding a state visit. The US leader and his Japanese counterpart, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, have vital business to discuss from Japan's delicate and rather dangerous relationship with China to the state of the Japanese economy and hopes for a major new trade deal. Joining me on the line to discuss all this is David Pilling, our Asia editor and author of Bending Adversity, a new book on Japan. And here in the studio is Lindsay Whip, our former Tokyo correspondent. David, let's start with you. I guess the, the security issue that's uppermost in everybody's minds is this dispute over the uninhabited islands the Japanese call the Senkaku that they're disputing with the Chinese and how much America will back up Japan in this potential clash. So how much reassurance has Barack Obama given the Japanese? Possibly more than might have been expected, actually. And he's the first president who said that these islands come under the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty. America's position is that while it takes no position in the dispute itself, it doesn't say that the islands are Japanese or that the islands are Chinese. It does acknowledge that they have been administered by Japan. And as they are administered by Japan, then they come under the security treaty. Now, Hillary Clinton had already made that clear, but that's one thing. Now you've had the president has come to Tokyo and has put it down in writing, actually, in a written interview with the Yomiuri Shimbun, a big Japanese writer center newspaper, that, yes, it does come under the security treaty, which means that there may be some level of assurance that if things went wrong, then the United States would have Japan's back. Uh, Of course, we don't exactly know what coming under the security treaty means. It doesn't necessarily mean that they would send in the Seventh Fleet if something happened. But it does mean that in some way they would come to Japan's defense. So I think that Obama has given Shinzo Abe as much as he could have expected on this. And of course, the Chinese have reacted badly and said that America is meddling in a bilateral dispute between China and Japan. But this question of coming to Japan's aid is is worth exploring. As you say, it doesn't necessarily mean the Seventh Fleet. Does it necessarily even mean a military response? I mean, let's say that the, the Chinese attempted to actually take these islands by force. Have the Americans essentially said they would respond with force or just that they would respond? It probably wouldn't happen like that. And I think there is a degree of constructive ambiguity. It would probably be much grayer, wouldn't it? It would be the Chinese administering the islands because they had forced out Japanese ships on a particular day, maybe sticking a flag on the islands. There might be an incident between fishermen, let's say. It would be unlikely, I think, at the moment that we would see Beijing march into the islands. How America would respond, we don't know. It may be verbal. It may depend on how Japan itself responded. We don't quite know what the American assurance means. It's certainly better than if Obama had not said anything about the islands at all. This is from Tokyo's perspective. But it still doesn't mean that America would come militarily to Japan's aid under any circumstances. David, last question on this security thing. And obviously, this all happens within an international context of the Ukraine issue, uh, where America is also, you know, there's a question of how far they'll go in, in confronting Russia after Syria and the red line that turned out not to be a red line. Do you think that Obama as a result of those other international incidents, arrived in Japan with the sense that he had to sort of demonstrate that America's security guarantees in Asia do mean something? 
I think that's absolutely true. I was uh, actually talking to an audience uh, a few weeks ago in Japan, and one guy stood up at the back and said, now we know that America has abandoned us. I said, that's a bit of a leading question, that someone would say that in a public forum, even though we might disagree with the wording and with the strength of the wording, you know, just to raise that, I think shows this feeling that Japan can't quite rely on the United States in the way that it has been used to. That is, of course, due to China's rising power, there's more that needs reacting against. It is also the feeling that America is somehow less powerful than it was, somehow less engaged than it was, somehow potentially retreating from areas where it has always been since the Second World War. Of course, Washington denies that absolutely. And then this is part of what Obama is seeking to do to reassure the Japanese. But this is something that is certainly in the air without doubt. Now, Lindsay, I mean, all this security stuff is a relatively new aspect in the US-Japanese relationship. Traditionally, it's all been about economics and trade and so on. And that's also still an important element, isn't it? Give us an idea of what the economic aspects of the discussions would be. Absolutely. Economics is a key part of the discussion this time around. And that is very much focused on this uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is essentially a trade deal among 12 countries of the region within which Japan and the US would be a pillar. Now, Japan has this again, and to broaden this out into the Japanese context, we have Abe going into his second year of power and promising to reform Japan economically so that it exits from its almost two decades of slow growth and deflation. And we're seeing that happen. But some of the key elements that they need to agree with on this TPP is agriculture. And Abe needs to reform agriculture, which is going to be a huge sticking point. And it is a huge sticking point, both domestically and as we're seeing playing out in this trade talks. So potentially, if Abe were to agree to what the Americans want on trade reform, it actually dovetails with what he's trying to do in terms of domestic reform, in, in terms of getting some of these very difficult structural changes through. So is the TPP a help to him in some ways? Essentially, it could be seen like that, but it depends also on politics, of course. And this has always been the sticking point in Japan ever since anyone can remember, really, in recent history, is that agriculture and people in rural areas have very much been supporters of the LDP, the Liberal Democratic Party, of which Abe leads. And so his dilemma is whether to potentially lose votes in an ageing society where lots of old people do live in rural areas or actually transform agriculture and potentially make it into an efficient industry in which you could export a lot of produce. Okay, so David, what are we hearing about the TPP? Uh, Is there any sense that progress is being made? Well, I think Abe might actually find the TPP useful because this is what the Japanese call gaiatsu. This is outside pressure. And you're right, this may feed into some of the things he wants to do to shake up the Japanese economy, to deregulate parts of the Japanese economy that have been taboo, that have been off limits. And although agriculture is a pretty small part of the Japanese economy, and I think personally people put too much emphasis on the idea that this would somehow transform Japan's economic performance if they shake up agriculture. But nonetheless, it could play into a broader picture However, and there is a big however here, I think Abe is not going to give away very much knowing that Obama, the man he's talking to, doesn't have fast track authority in the US. So to give away things and then risk the danger that the deal will fall apart anyway because it can't be ratified in the United States would be politically a crazy thing to do because you would would just get all the flack and none of the potential benefits. 
And so I think this will really inhibit the negotiations. And I would be surprised if there's going to be any big breakthrough while Abe and Obama talk today and perhaps tomorrow in Tokyo. And, and what's the personal relationship between the two leaders like? Because we've seen US presidents and Japanese prime ministers who at least for public consumption have meant to have some kind of special relationship. On the other hand, Obama's a slightly chilly character and, and Abe, one gets the impression, excites a degree of suspicion in Washington because of the nationalist undertones to what he does. So how do the two men get on? I think that's right. Obama got kind of fed up of meeting Japanese prime ministers because they kept coming and going and he'd meet one and then he'd have to meet another a year later. And so he was quite resistant to that. I think it's quite clear now that Abe is very likely going to stay probably until 2016. So this is somebody he has to do business with. In a sense, of course, Abe is doing exactly what the Americans want. He's talking about a more outgoing, if that's the word, defense posture, reinterpreting the constitution to allow Japan to play a larger role in the world. And this is exactly what the United States has been pressing for, for years and years and years. So in a sense, Abe is the answer to America's prayers. But of course, he comes with this sting. And this sting is the nationalism that allows him to pursue those policies. And here, I think Abe and many of the Democrats and probably some of the Republicans find what Abe says quite uncomfortable, because he's not only talking about Japan's relationships with China and the rest of Asia, but even the kind of post-war settlement, which is, of course, a U.S.-imposed post-war settlement as to what the war meant and what Japan's defeat meant and whether Japan acted badly during the war, which, of course, is the post-war narrative. And Abe, to some extent, wants to question that by doing things like going to Yasukuni, by talking, although he's dropped this now, but talking about revisiting Japan's apologies by being a little bit ambiguous about history. I do think this makes people, you know, like Obama and people around him, rather uncomfortable. So he's a man they can do business with. He's a man, finally, in Japan who has some power, strength, perhaps even vision. But he's also a man that perhaps Mr. Obama would have some ideological differences with. So it's a, it's a, it's a tricky relationship, I think. And, and Lindsay, I mean, you were in Tokyo for a decade in the run-up to Abe coming to power. And we've seen other Japanese leaders, I guess you were there for Koizumi, who were hailed as, you know, a breath of fresh air and a real change. Do you get the sense, having watched a few of them, that Abe is the real deal, just in the sense of being a new broom? Yes, I would say this second time around. Obviously, the first time when he came in after Koizumi stepped down, he was not very well and was out within the year. But this time he's come with an incredible amount of energy and a very simple message, which I think is one of the things that is key to getting the Japanese people on board as well. It's simple, it's clear, this is what we're doing. And also I think that's resonated overseas as well, having seen him talk here in London last year and seeing what happened at Davos as well. He really seems to have captured the imagination of the foreign press, which I think is an important thing as well. OK, and finally, David... What about the mood in Japan itself? Are people still excited by Abe? Does he have public backing or are they beginning to get a bit jaded? His support has held up quite well. Uh, there was a secrecy bill that was pushed through that people didn't like. I think people don't like his nationalism particularly, or there's a lot of Japanese who don't. 
But I think Lindsay's right. He's a man with a plan. And there really hasn't been a man with a plan since Koizumi. And Koizumi's plan, this was in 2001 till 2006, was more sort of rhetoric. There was a lot of noise and fireworks, but not an awful lot got done. Abe, in a funny sort of sense, is the opposite. He kind of gets down to business. He has announced that they will get out of deflation, which nobody else had done. And lo and behold, they are getting out of deflation. This may not be permanent, but something is stirring in the state of Denmark. And I think people, whether they like him or not, kind of sense a sense of purpose. And so people have sort of held their nose, I think, and uh, and are supporting Abe. Of course, there are people who don't like him, who think he's a terrible nationalist and that they would never support him under any circumstances. But he is carrying enough of the Japanese population along with him, those who like him and those who don't particularly like him. That means that, yes, he has a fairly solid bedrock of support that might go if the economy begins to descend or unravel or if international affairs get really nasty. But until then, yes, I think he has enough of the Japanese population along with him. OK, David Pilling, thank you very much indeed. And thanks also to Lindsay Whip here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.